Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. If you're reading through the Bible, you're about to begin this week the final section of the Old Testament, the section that we call prophecy. The prophetic books begin with Isaiah and go all the way through Malachi. All of these prophets are broken down into major and minor prophets. Now, that doesn't mean one is more important than the other. It just means that one of them wrote a lot more than the other. And the major prophets are Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, and Hosea. And then the prophets after that we call the minor prophets just simply because the books are not very long. Prophets had two jobs. Obviously, they spoke for the Lord. And one of their responsibilities was foretelling, telling the future. Now, that's what we usually think of when you hear the word prophecy is the future. And there are a lot of prophetic things stated, whether about judgment from God or Jesus Christ coming. Um, But the other job they had, and primarily their job, was forth-telling, speaking for God to people about immorality, about disobedience, about the coming judgment that was going to happen. And they lived in a very dark time, and they were trying to warn people to come to God or else this was going to happen, especially the nations of Israel and Judah. Now, Isaiah is probably the greatest prophet that we would call that because he, he's the most evangelical prophet. There are more scriptures, more messianic scriptures about Jesus than any other Old Testament book except the Psalms. Christ is referenced more in the Psalms than Isaiah, but Isaiah is quoted more in the New Testament than any other Old Testament book. Now, I want to give you a little extra information here. This is free, and I don't expect you to remember it, but I'm going to say it anyway. You can compare it, you compare, compare the book of Isaiah to the Bible. Obviously, it's in the Bible, but Isaiah has 66 chapters. The Bible has 66 books. There are 39 books in the Old Testament. There are 27 books in the New Testament. Well, you can actually divide Isaiah that way. The first 39 chapters speak of the history of Israel, just like the Old Testament describes the history of Israel. And the New Testament describes the person and ministry of Jesus Christ. Well, the last 27 chapters of Isaiah reference Jesus. So it's almost identical. The New Testament begins with the ministry of John the Baptist. Well, the second part of Isaiah, verse chapters 40 through 66, begin with that. It's also interesting that the New Testament ends by referring to the new heavens and the new earth, and so does the book of Isaiah describing the very same thing. You can compare Isaiah 66 2 with Revelation 21 verses 1 through 3. It's just a very interesting scenario. Isaiah is a very eloquent writer. Sometimes it's referred to as the Shakespeare of the Old Testament. He is one of the greatest prophets in the Old Testament. His name means 
salvation of Jehovah. That's, the word, that's what the, the word Isaiah means. Isaiah is regarded as one of the six greatest books of the Bible. Now, I know that that's debatable, but most commentators refer to the six greatest books as Isaiah, Romans, John, the Psalms, Genesis, and Revelation. Technically, it divides into three parts. The first 35 chapters talk about judgment and denunciation of the sins of Israel, Judah. Part two, there's a parenthesis. Chapters 36 to 39 is sort of a historical parenthesis. And then the last chapters, chapters 40 through 66, talk about God's consolation and the grace of God. You've got a lot to read, 66 chapters. Don't get behind. You'll never get caught up. And I hate to tell you this, but Isaiah is a lot easier to read than Jeremiah is. So just brace yourself for Jeremiah next Sunday when we... We talk about that. But today, I want to read a couple of verses out of Isaiah 26. It's really a song, a, a prophetic song that Isaiah says one day is going to be sung. Now, he's, he's prophesying in a very dark time in Israel's history. And I know that you need to be careful when something is written to Israel. You can't just pick out one or two verses and and say, well, that applies to me personally. Well, there are some principles and truths that can, especially when they are reiterated in other parts of the Bible, and these two verses are. So I want us to look at verse three and four. The word you, meaning God, God will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever. For in Yah, or Yahweh, the Lord is everlasting strength. Actually, that translates, the Lord is the rock of ages. We are living, would you agree we are living in a time of anxiety? Any of you ever have any anxiety? You can probably relate to the personnel manager of a large corporation who was continually plagued over all the employee problems. And one night he was perusing the newspaper and he read an article about how stress and tension can drive some people to take drugs. He said, I can understand that. He was talking to his wife. I, I'd probably be on drugs myself if I weren't taking tranquilizers. <laughs> and then, of course, there's the old corny story. And you're going to remember this. You won't remember anything else I say, but you'll remember this. And I've told you this before about the man out west who went to see a psychiatrist. And he said, Doc, I've been having these terrible dreams. One, dream I, one night I dream I'm a wigwam. The next night I dream I'm a teepee. It's awful. Psychiatrist said, you just need to calm down. It's obvious you're just too tense. <laughs> told you it was corny, didn't I? I see those eyes rolling. At least you're doing something. <laughs> At least they're open if I see them rolling. Years ago, the Mayo Clinic stated that statistically, 80 to 85% of their total caseload 
were either ill in reality or artificially due directly to mental stress. There appeared an article in a leading medical journal entitled, Is Stress the Cause of All Disease? And the author stated that at the beginning of the 20th century, bacteria was considered to be the center of attention. But today, mental stress has replaced bacteria. People are stressed. People are anxious. You may remember Dr. George Crane in the Chicago Daily News used to have an article and people would write in asking him questions. And he had a prominent judge who was 42 years old who wrote to him and said this, it seems to me that people have more mental disorders today is it just that I have my attention focused on such things? What would be your, your advice as the best way to eliminate psychiatric problems? Dr. Crane's answer, and I read it, quote, there would be much less strain on men and women if they teamed up with God as a daily partner. Indeed, in that event, psychiatry would almost pass out of existence. People who try to live independently and ignore God are soon overwhelmed with innumerable fears and worries. They become the typical hypochondriacs, always fretting about gallbladder or ulcer or appendix or impending cancer or insanity. If more people learn to team up with God, the human race would soon be able to throw off the 50% of its ailments that medical educators admit are psychological. Is it possible to have peace in a world full of anxiety? Have you ever used this term? I would like to have a little peace and quiet. It's like it's a destination. You, you're going to go, I, I need to go someplace where I can get some of this. When in reality, it's not a place you go. It's something that begins right here in the heart. Isaiah is a prophet during a difficult time. The only one that might have had even more difficulty will be Jeremiah. But Isaiah is prophesying. He's seen a lot of things happen in his life. As a young man, he saw his nation become an economic and military world power. But along with this prosperity, there was also corruption. People would not follow God. They just went through the rituals of religion. They didn't really focus on God, took their eyes off of it. And now a new power is emerging in Assyria. And the splendor of Isaiah's nation is beginning to fade. And while politicians are arguing, the nation is now downplayed and the people grew anxious. Does that sound like today? You don't think the Bible is still relevant today? And in the darkest period of Israel's history, you find, still find some promises of God. A promise that we need to remember when we're surrounded by gloom, despair, depression, and agony on me, and all of that. We're constantly threatened by the enemies called doubt and fear and worry. And some of you walked in this building today and all torn up on the inside or anxious. Some of you may be watching us online and you're just burdened down today. Well, I've got some good news. You can find peace in the midst of the storm. First of all, I want you to notice the possibility 
and promise of peace. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. There's no promise in the Bible that tells us when we follow God, when we commit our lives to Christ, that you will no longer have any anxiety or your circumstances won't be free from trouble or war or trial or temptations or anguish or tears or bereavement. Folks, I want to tell you, we live in a sin-cursed world and we're going to have tribulation. Jesus even said, in this world, you will have tribulation. So the circumstances around us, we cannot control. But the scripture does tell us that in the midst of our circumstances, there can still be peace right here. I can't control my circumstances, but I can control where my focus is and who I'm trusting. Now, two things about this peace I want you to notice. First is the quality of this peace, perfect peace. Peace. The, the New King James translates it perfect peace. It, it means a condition of disturbance, a freedom from disturbance, a condition of freedom from disturbance within your mind, emotions, and will. It's an inner quietness. It's a deep stillness in the soul. It's a state of order and wholeness and harmony. A peaceful individual lives in the midst of conflict without all the inner turmoil and anxiety all the time. They're not biting their nails all the time. They're not all torn up inside. So if we say this is perfect peace, does that mean there's an imperfect peace? Well, actually there is. We call it different things. I mean, you think about it. Some people are at peace simply because of ignorance. And I'm not being critical. They just say, I don't want to know anything. That way, what I don't know won't hurt me. But that's not a real kind of peace. And then there's that kind of peace that you can call um, surface peace or stagnant peace. You know, like a, a pond of water that looks still on the top. But underneath, it's got slime and, and algae growing and all. And, every, and these people look like they've got it all together on the surface but underneath it's turmoil. And, and then there's a, a dependent kind of peace where as long as there's somebody in your life that you're dependent on, there's peace in your life, you think, or, or something in your life. Maybe it's your job or some material things. As long as you have that, you think you're at, they're at peace. But what happens when that person dies or that thing is taken away or gone away God offers a peace that is not dependent on circumstances. Our circumstances aren't always good. We wish they were. Did you just love the weather yesterday? I mean, you gotta love Lubbock to live here after yesterday. Love the people in it. God offers perfect peace, a, a peace that's not dependent on circumstances. There's also the quantity of peace that's mentioned here. Actually, this is the translation in the Hebrew. You will keep him in shalom, shalom. Peace, peace, double peace. 
The word perfect really isn't used, but it implies God's peace. One commentator said it means in peace, peace. Spurgeon says God does nothing by halves, but everything by doubles. When a word is repeated in the Bible, it's done for emphasis. It's like an exclamation point. The words perfect peace are double emphasis, the peace that God provides. It means completeness and soundness and welfare and peace and contentment. We see this also in the New Testament. Philippians 4, 7, and the peace of God which passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Double peace, hearts and minds. It also means peace with God and the peace of God. You cannot have the peace of God until you're at peace with God. And the only way you can be at peace with God is through Jesus Christ, the mediator between God and man, giving your life to him. And when you receive Christ as your savior, commit your life to him, most people say, I feel such peace. Because you have the peace of God or your peace with God, and his peace now indwells you. And the word keep means to guard or protect or maintain. It's a military term, which means to protect a camp or a castle. The enemy is unable to get in when God's peace protects us. I want you to think about that. Psalm 85, 8 says, he promises peace to his people. Proverbs, excuse me, Psalm 29, 11, the Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses his people with peace. Don't y'all want that peace? That's what the world needs. You know, we're all the time making jokes about well, what the world needs is world peace. But there's not going to be any peace until each individual heart has peace with God and the peace of God. He will keep you in peace peace. Now, how do we get it? What's the prerequisite? Let's look at that. The prerequisite to this peace. There are some conditions mentioned here, and I want you to notice what they are. The first condition is to keep our minds mindful. Our keep your minds mindful. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you or thee. A double dose of peace comes when our minds are disciplined to stay centered on God. The word mind refers to mindset or focus. And a lot of people need to refocus their minds toward God. J. Oswald writes, this means that God's excellent peace is given to those whose minds are intentionally riveted on God. What do you think about all the time? Social media? News? You fill your mind with all that stuff, you're going to be anxious all the time. But to focus on God when your mind is steadfast and you remember who's on the throne and who loves you and who owns you and who knows your name and who saved you and who's given you eternal life, it brings peace back, doesn't it? James chapter one talks about a person who is double-minded and he's unstable in all his ways. Now, the word double-minded means 
two-souled. You're trying to face two directions at one time. You can't do that. But that's what it means. You, you know what God says, but you don't really listen. And, and you say you're going to, but then you go your own way. And, and you make a commitment one day and you flake out the next. And you know that you should make God a choice or his choices. And then you, you go your own way. A double-minded man is trying to go both ways. How many times have you made a commitment and it lasted till lunch? <laughs> I think all of us are guilty to that. Well, Lord, I'm going to be faithful to you. But we don't ever talk to him or we don't ever read his word or we don't attend worship or whatever. I, I, I don't know. It, you know, you've got to keep your mind mindful of God. There's an old song, Like a River Glorious, and that song contains these lyrics, stayed upon Jehovah, hearts are fully blessed, finding as he promised, perfect peace and rest. A professor at one of the leading universities did a study years ago about what people worry about. He said 40% people worry about things that never happen. 30% people worry about things that concern the past. 12% worry about needless things about health. 10% are about petty issues. He said about 8% of what people worry about are legitimate concerns. That means 92% of your energy is wasted on worries that don't amount to anything. But I've got great news for you. Even the other 8% we don't have to worry about because God is bigger than anything facing us at the moment. And then when we worry, we're basically saying, God, I don't believe you can handle these big things in my life. Do you really think they're that big to God? R.H. Mounts once said, worry is practical atheism. It's an affront to God. One pastor wrote, worry is the warning light that God is not really first in my life at this particular moment because worry says that God is not big enough to handle my troubles. Jesus didn't want us burdened with all of this. In fact, he said in Luke 21, 34, he said, be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and anxieties of life. Worry, it strangles us. In fact, Jesus used that very imagery when he talked about the man sowing the seed, the word of God and how it fell on different soils. And he said in Matthew Chapter 13, verse 22, the one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. Folks, if you don't memorize any scripture other than 1 Peter 5, 7, you ought to memorize it. It says, casting all your care or anxiety on him for he cares for you. Peace is not the absence of trouble. It's the presence of God. In 1871, the Chicago fire struck and ravaged the city. And when it was finally extinguished, 300 people had died and 100,000 people were homeless. There was a man by the name of Horatio Spafford 
who was trying to help people get back on their feet after the fire. He was an attorney, a lawyer, a Chicago lawyer, and he had invested heavily in the downtown area, and he lost it all. For the next two years, he tried to help people get back on their feet. He helped the homeless and he helped the impoverished, the grief-stricken, those that were ruined by the fire. Also, during that two years, he lost his only son who died. But after two years of working, trying to help people downtown, he and his family decided to take a vacation. And they were going to join, go to England and join D.L. Moody and Ira Sankey on one of their evangelistic crusades. Well, at the last minute, Horatio Spafford was delayed because of some business, so he sent his wife and four daughters on ahead, and he was going to meet up with them. But on the way, that ship crashed into another ship and sank within 20 minutes off the coast of Newfoundland. His wife, Anna, was able to cling to a piece of floating wreckage. All four of his daughters died. Well, he received a horrible telegram from his wife, and there were only two words on the telegram, and it said, saved alone. Spafford boarded the next ship to be near his grieving wife, and when the ship passed close to the spot where his daughters died, he penned these words. When peace like a river attendeth my way. When sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Only a person whose mind is stayed on God could even come close to writing words like that. You've got to keep your minds mindful of God. The second thing is, Keep our wills willing. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you. The word trust means to fully lean on someone, to rely on them. Verse four says, trust in the Lord forever. Let your confidence never be shaken. In other words, you walk through life saying, Lord, my will is your will. Your will is my will. I will follow you. I will trust you. I'll do what you want me to do with my life. If you'll notice in verse three, it begins with you, which is God, and ends with you, which is God, and there's a trusting individual in the middle. You will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, for he trusts in you. Keep your wills willing. Lord, I want your will to be done in my life, not what I'm dreaming up, not what I'm going to do. How many times do I hear people today say, you know what, I'm just gonna follow my passion. Well, I understand, and I'm not faulting them, but you know what? You need to follow God's will for your life, whatever that is. And he will put the love and the passion for it, but, but don't just say, well, I, I decide what I'm gonna do. I'm just gonna follow my passion. Well, you make sure it's in keeping with what God wants you to do. You keep your wills willing, and the peace of God will be there. Amen. The third thing is to keep our lives living. Trust in the Lord, for the Lord is the rock of ages. As you live your life, 
God is the one that you seek refuge in. God is the one that can take care of the big problems that you think you have in your life. Do you think there's anything in your life that's so big God can't handle it? Or God can't show you what to do? This passage, by the way, verse four, is where the hymn Rock of Ages gets its theme. Rock of Ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. God's given us a place to hide and it's in a personal relationship with him. I want my life living for God, trusting in him. If there's a place in your life that you're out of God's will or you're disobeying God, there's no peace. I know most of you will know this third truth, but I want to share with you the path to this peace. You can't dream this up. Have you ever noticed pictures of icebergs in the Atlantic, usually in the wintertime? You know, sometimes you'll see storms that are tossing ships around and big waves, but when it comes to icebergs, icebergs don't care what the water's doing. Have you ever noticed the waves come up against an iceberg, it just doesn't move. They just float like big castles through the water. They're defiant of the mighty waves. They don't bob like a cork. You know why? Because the majority of that iceberg is underwater. I've been told that about one-ninth of an iceberg is above the water. The other close to 90% of it is underneath. Christians can be protected from the distracting waves that come, the doubt and the fear and the worry. I can't say that your circumstances will go away, but I can tell you that in the midst of the circumstances, there can be a peace in your heart that only God can put there. You can't dream it up. It's not positive thinking. It is the presence of God in your life. The path to peace first goes through the Savior, Jesus Christ, the mediator between God and man, the only one that can take the hand of God in heaven and the hand of man on earth and bring us together because he died for you and me. John 14, 27, Jesus said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And in John 16, he said, these things have I spoken to you that in me, you might have peace. In the world, you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Philippians 4, 7 says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. It's, a, it's sad to me how many people today are looking for peace in all the wrong places. You know, some people can't go through life without alcohol drowning and trying to medicate their anxiety and their worry. Uh, why, why do people take drugs? And I'm not talking about drugs for your health. I'm talking about drugs that help you escape reality. Why, why do you think there's so many one-night stands and these relationships that are so shallow, all they do is just shack up together or sleep together for a night or two and then they go, why do you think people do that? 
because they're looking for some peace and hope. Why do people take their life? Why are suicides on the rise? People are looking for peace. You can only find it through Jesus Christ. Someone said it this way. If you look to the world, you'll be distressed. If you look inside, you'll be depressed. But if you look to Christ, you'll find rest. You'll find peace. I'm telling you, the only hope that you have is through Jesus Christ. Don't take my word for it. Read the word of God. You also find peace through the Spirit. You know that when you pray to receive Christ and give your life to him, God's Spirit, the third person of the, of the Trinity, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, indwells that empty void that is there because of sin. Your spirit has died because of sin and you don't have the capacity to have a relationship with God. And when Jesus comes into your life, the spirit fills you. You now have life. In fact, the fruit of the spirit in Galatians 5.22 is, is love, joy, peace. Peace with God, peace of God through the Holy Spirit. And when you grieve the Holy Spirit, there's not the peace that should be there. A third path is through the scripture. Psalm 119 verse 165 says, great peace have they who love thy law and nothing shall disturb them. A Bible that is falling apart usually belongs to somebody who isn't. I hope you're not like the lady who came to the door and the door-to-door salesman from a publishing house asked the lady, do you own a Bible? And she said, oh yes, I certainly do. His next question was, do you read it regularly? And she said, oh yes. In fact, she sent her daughter to get the Bible from the table drawer and as she showed the Bible to the man, her glasses fell out of it. She said, well, there's my glasses. I've been looking for those things for three years. I hope you open your Bible other than just on Sunday morning. If you even brought one, I hope you bring one here. We actually use them here. And I'm going to refer to them here. I'm not going to tell you my opinions. I'll tell you what God says. You find peace. You find promises through the Bible. Who says the Lord's coming back? The Lord knows your name. The Lord's washed you clean. You're a child of God. You have assurance. God hasn't forgotten you. The Lord's going to return and so forth. You read it in the scripture. Everything we know about God comes from the scripture. You also find peace through submission. Isaiah 57, 21 says, there is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. Romans 5, excuse me, Romans 8, 5, and 6. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Paul wrote to the Philippians, the things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these things do and the God of peace will be with you. 
You cannot disobey God continuously and have any peace in your life. None of us are perfect. I know that. But you cannot live a life of continuous rebellion and sin and expect to have the peace that surpasses all understanding. You ever been at odds with your spouse? Don't, you don't have to answer that. I know the answer to that. Was there peace in the house when you were at odds with your spouse? Uh-uh. No. There's not any peace with God when you're walking in disobedience to him. But 1 John 1, 9 says, if you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin. There's also peace through prayer and supplication. Philippians 4, be anxious for nothing but in everything. By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And verse 7 says, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Prayer. God wants to hear from you. American pastor and author A.T. Pearson described the peace of God as that eternal calm which lies far too deep in the praying trusting soul to be, the, the praying trusting soul to be reached by any external Disturbance. It's that calm that's so deep that the external circumstances don't reach it. Helen Steiner Rice wrote, whenever I'm troubled and lost in deep despair, I bundle all my troubles up and go to God in prayer. I tell him I'm heart sick and lost and lonely too, that I'm deeply burdened and I don't know what to do. But I know he stilled the tempest and calmed the angry sea. And I humbly ask if in his love he'll do the same for me. Then I just keep quiet and think on thoughts of peace. And as I abide in stillness, my restless murmurings cease. Isaiah 26.3, you it's a precious God. You will keep in perfect peace. That's a priceless possession, the peace of God. Only Christians understand that. Whose mind is stayed on you. That's the present focus. I want to keep my mind riveted on God because he trusts in you. That's a powerful faith. I'm going to live that way. You, it begins with you, God, and it ends with you, God. I want to start my day with you, God. I want to end my day with you, God. And you'll even watch over me when I rest. If you don't know Jesus, you can't have this peace. I don't care how much unity and peace the world tries to manufacture. You will never be at peace in your heart until you know Jesus as your Savior. Don't take my word for it. Read the word of God. He says, I am the only way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And if you don't know Jesus, you can know him right now. You don't have to join our church. You don't have to be a Baptist. But you have to trust Jesus as your Savior. 
Would you, drop, would you bow your heads with me? Lord Jesus, I pray for those today who don't have any peace in their heart because they don't know you. Oh, they've been religious. They've been church members, but they don't know you. And so, Lord, I ask you today to show them how much you love them, how you will forgive them of all their sin, how you would change their life eternally. I pray for the Christians here who are full of anxiety today because of sin in their life. Maybe there's something else, but I pray, Lord, that they will trust you. I don't know who needs a church home, Lord, but if this is the place you're sending them, I pray they'd come. I I pray for those that need to be baptized like the young lady in the eight o'clock service was today. Lord, we need peace in our hearts because our circumstances right now are in turmoil. Our country's in turmoil. Businesses are in turmoil. But I pray that people today can leave with the peace that only you can give in their heart. I pray they'll just take it out of their pocket, leave it right there on the chair, and walk out of here at peace with you today. If you're watching us online and you want to know more about knowing Jesus as your Savior, you can either hit that connect button or you can text the word living hope, one word, living hope to 474747. You can do that in this room. And if you'll let us have the information, we'll reach out to you and talk with you. Or maybe you want to fill out one of those communication cards and drop it in the box as you leave. Or there'll be some of us here at the front to pray with you after we're dismissed. Lord, I pray today that people would come to you. They would respond to you because we know that only you, only you can calm a troubled heart. Only you can change a sinful heart. We ask that you do that even now. Thank you, Lord, for the peace that we have knowing that one day, one day, you're coming back and you're gonna take us home. Until that time, no matter what our circumstances are, help us to walk through those with your presence in our life, which will continually give us hope and peace. And Lord, we thank you for what you've done for us In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like more information, to make a commitment, or to request prayer, please text the word podcast to 555-888. You can also connect with us on our Southcrest app or our website for complete worship services or to plan to visit us in person. Thanks again for listening.